Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales. The Sheep Extension Network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. The combination of warm temperatures and the return of more consistent rainfall has brought back an unwelcomed foe. Sheep farmers across New South Wales are once again being faced with the challenges of worms. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Dr. Matt Playford, one of Sheep Connect's New South Wales valued presenters, to talk about what's happening on the ground across the state and how farmers can control worms this season and start to get prepared for the next. Matt grew up in Cowra in the central tablelands of New South Wales and after extensive travel and study, Matt has been a veterinary consultant for 17 years and is the director of Dorbutts Proprietary Limited, a company that runs a parasitology laboratory and conducts research on behalf of the livestock industries. Welcome, Matt, and thank you once again for joining me on It's Time For You. Thanks, Fiona. It's a pleasure. Matt, you joined me for a webinar this week at Sheep Connects New South Wales and we had a really great time talking worms again together and we had some wonderful feedback from our audience and the story that we heard from them was that they really are having a struggle this year with internal parasites but especially Barber's pollworm and I've been hearing the same from farmers I've been talking to. You're certainly more in touch with farmers regularly than I am. Are you hearing a familiar story through your job? Yes, we've got about 2,000 farmers that submit to the uh, Dorbert's um, uh, parasitology lab and um, we are seeing uh, a lot of them that have um, a lot higher worm egg counts this year and also um, it seems to be ideal conditions uh, across the state for Barber's pole worm. So yes, very consistent with the message that we got last week during the webinar and um, I have to confess I wasn't quite prepared for the response we got after the finish of the webinar. There were so many people who had um, really great uh, contributions and questions uh, for about half an hour after the webinar finished. So it was it was um, just emphasising the fact that this year is a bit of a perfect storm for worms. Yeah, and do you think it would be fair to say that we've been possibly, and it, I could just be coming off the back of the drought, that we've been caught off guard a little bit this year? Totally. You know, the emphasis in the previous couple of years has been on feeding sheep and getting hold of, um, you know, nutrition. But um, this year it's turned around. The pastures are, uh, you know, up over your ears and um, the problem has turned around to uh, to worms. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have been caught off guard. And Matt, I know you and I have been over this a few times before and um, through webinars and Q&As and even you've been on our podcast once before, but I'd like to take a few minutes to just go back over the basics for people out there that may be joining us that haven't heard um, you on our podcast before. So what symptoms should people be on the lookout for this year? Okay, the first thing is 
in places where there's a lot of barber's poleworm, the sheep actually become quite weak. And that's because the barber's poleworm suck the blood out of them. The sheep become anemic and they can't transfer oxygen from their lungs into their muscles. And so they become weak. You'll first notice this when you start to walk along behind the sheep and you'll find that some can't even keep up. So that's a very early sign or it's quite, I suppose it's an advanced sign that those sheep are not coping and will need uh, special attention. The other signs when you've actually got sheep in the yard are pale colour and you can tell that particularly by looking into their eyes and there's a, a technique called Pharmachar, F-A-M-A-C-H-A. That is a very reliable and consistent way of working out how anemic the sheep are. And luckily we've got some uh, skilled presenters in Australia who are able to teach uh, producers that technique. And the other thing of course is bottle jaw and that's a, like a soft fluid swelling under the sheep's jaw indicating that they're low in blood protein, again, caused by the worms sucking the blood. Matt, worm egg counts, there's um, quite a few different tests out there now, um, some that are newer to the market. Could you take us through what tests are available? Um, first up, please. Yeah, so the worm egg counts have been used by farmers to um, uh, both assess sheep and uh, work out if they need a drench, for example, and also just to monitor them so that there's no surprises. You can you can plan ahead. Now, when you're assessing sheep, it's it's probably a good idea to do um, individual uh, animal testing because if you don't know what's going on, that gives you a greater amount of information to uh, to base your decision on. For monitoring, you can use bulk tests and they're very very handy to do you know on a regular basis to know uh, how the how the mob of sheep are progressing now as well as the standard microscope based testing a lot of stores um, around uh, New South Wales and other states and also veterinary clinics are putting in the FEC pack machine and there's another one that's um, recently been um, uh, rolled out as well that give you um, same day or you know very rapid turnaround worm egg counts, and so they're they're actually gaining traction now as a way of doing almost point of care testing. So you don't actually send the samples away in the traditional way to the laboratories, but you're getting those tests done locally, either at the store or vet clinic, and even on some farms where they're doing regular testing. And so they're very handy, particularly for your um, bulk testing. The other thing that's um, uh, often needed is a worm ID, and that's to identify the species of worms that's causing the problem. And um, that usually involves, at the moment, culturing the worms, and um, it takes about a week to, uh, to hatch them out and work out what species they are. And Matt, when the results are given back from your lab, and they're quite similar, the result sheets that you'd get from other labs as well, how do we interpret them once we get them sent back through to us via, let's say, email? Okay, well, the best way to do it is actually to look at the, um, the Wormboss website because it will actually tell you um, what, the, what the, uh, the thresholds are for your area 
and also what other variables you need to look at. And the reason is because there isn't just a single a single threshold. You can't say, yep, above 300, the sheep need a drench and below 300, they don't. Because there is um, a bit of a moving target, a sliding scale, depending on other factors, such as the age of the sheep and their, their status, whether they're pregnant or not, the, uh, the weather, the amount of rain you've had, and even things like nutrition, because we know that you know in, there's some situations where sheep will cope quite well with 300 eggs per gram or even more, and that's when they're you know strong, uh, resistant animals that are that are on good nutrition. And yet other times, 300 eggs per gram can be an overwhelming burden that will be um, stopping them from growing at all, and so they they definitely need a drench. Now all of that is put into context on the Wormboss website. So that'll help you to um, be able to make a decision based on your specific circumstances. And Matt, is it necessary once you get the tests back, even if you have a higher count, to actually drench or will it depend on the distribution that you have across the individual samples? And would that affect your management decisions? Yeah, definitely, Fiona. Um, a lot of the time when we see individual counts come in, there might be a couple of sheep that have got very high counts, like 10,000 eggs per gram or more, and then other sheep that have got very low counts. And you realise that there must be a very um, diverse group of, of, uh, of sheep in the mob. This often happens when we box sheep up. For example, when you put in your um, twinners with your dry ewes, or um, you have um, you know, mixed mobs. And so that, that can give you a lot of options with management. A good way to, um, to solve that problem is to, is to um, body condition score the sheep and just treat the sheep that have got low body condition score. And the ones that are doing well won't be as critical for treatment. Now, Matt, how often do you suggest to people that they should monitor and why is it important to do it at that interval? Well, look, um, I've got a lab, Fiona, so I'm telling people to monitor all the time. <laughs> we have to balance that against how much, how much it's actually worth to them. So we have some producers that monitor um, each mob of sheep every month over the, over the summer period, and that's because the, particularly the barber's worm, uh, barber's pole worm, uh, numbers can rise very rapidly, and they can even they can even rise before the worm egg counts go up. The the risk can rise, and so they're monitoring them every month so that they know what's happening in each mob of sheep and also what's likely to happen on the paddocks, and that gives them the power then to work out uh, a traffic light system for the paddocks. If a paddock has heavy contamination, then it's a red light. You know, don't put your vulnerable or susceptible sheep into that paddock. If it's been spelled for a while, or if it had sheep that were uh, with a low worm egg count, it gets an orange light. And then if it's been spelled, or it's had hay taken off, or um, it's had only cattle in it, for example, then it's gonna get a green light. It's gonna be a safer paddock for putting in your wieners, and your pregnant use. And so the amount of monitoring that you do will help you to make those critical decisions. Now, the other time when people will want to do uh, worm egg counts is because, you know, you have to actually have um, sheep in or yarded or 
um, you have to actually go and collect samples. And so every, every time you have a management event, such as a shearing or a vaccination, you go and take a sample at that time or even a week before that so that you can prepare drenches if needs be. Matt, when we tend to focus on controlling parasites, it's um, we tend to look at controlling parasites in the sheep itself. But of course, controlling them on pasture is just as important, which you just touched on then. Why is it so important that we prepare our pastures correctly, especially for the weaners and ewes that you just mentioned? And oh, yeah. and I will add, can you just tell us, how does it really, does it relate back to worm egg count in the animal? Do we have yeah, evidence? Certainly. Yeah, it certainly does, Fiona. So if we have, for example, a um, uh, a mob of sheep um, that are that are grazing a paddock, and they've all got a worm egg count of a thousand eggs per gram, and that's not unusual up in up in your neck of the woods, in the um, the north of uh, of New South Wales, but it's also not unusual down in the south either. In the Monero, we often see counts in that range. So each sheep will have a thousand eggs per gram, which means it's got a million eggs per kilogram, which is about the amount of um, dung that a sheep produces every day. So each sheep is producing a million eggs onto the pasture every day. If you've got a thousand sheep in the mob, they're producing a billion eggs going onto that, onto that paddock. Now, not all of those eggs turn into larvae and survive, but a very high proportion do, particularly in the moist, mild conditions that we've had through this summer, which are really ideal for worm larvae development. And so a lot of them are going to actually turn into infective larvae and they'll be sitting there on the pasture for a long, long time, ready for the, uh, ready for the sheep to come along the next time they're in that paddock and they'll jump on board. Now the reason why this is so critical is because a lot of research has been done that's correlated the number of worm larvae that a sheep or a calf or you know a cattle beast uh, eats with their growth rate. And of course, the more, as you'd expect, the more worm larvae they eat, the more energy they're putting into trying to overcome those worms and the less that's going into their, their growth rate and their wool and their lactation. And so having contaminated paddocks means having very inefficient production systems. Matt, where, where, that's an awful lot of eggs when you put it in perspective like that. No wonder the paddocks get out of control on us so quickly. Where do we find the larvae on the pastures? Does it differ through the height of the pasture and how long can they survive? Yeah, it certainly does um, differ on the pasture. And it'll differ between pastures too. So for example, if you go onto a, a stubble paddock and you find um, you know, the, the uh, stubble's been cut fairly short, it might only be about 10 centimetres long, and there's a lot of uh, space in between each stalk, um, then you can, you can imagine there's a lot of sunlight getting down there and baking the ground and causing those, those little larvae to dry up and die. Whereas if you go to a paddock that's been um, sown with uh, with chicory or with with mixed um, mixed crops uh, and pasture species, you'll find a very thick sward down there that's causing a lot of shade at ground level, and the larvae that are down there at ground level will be protected from the drying effects of the sun, 
and they'll survive quite happily. So there's big differences in between pastures. Now, the other thing is the temperature has a critical impact on how long those larvae survive. And if the temperature gets high, they use up all their energy and die out. But if the temperature's low, and we're talking about even, even below um, you know, 15 to 20 degrees, it really blows out their survival time. And so they'll, they'll quite happily survive right through the winter, through to next spring, all the way through to Christmas. Matt, understanding those ideal conditions will certainly help us try and prepare cleaner pastures. When, when we talk about cleaner pastures, we're really wanting to get them ready for those weaners and ewes. Um, mm -hmm. How long does it take? When's the best time to start preparing? Is it something we should be thinking about this far out? Yep, definitely. Um, so if you're planning on weaning lambs in, in August, you should be thinking about preparing their paddocks in February. So think about the um, think about the paddocks you'd like to put your weaners into um, six months ahead of time, and you'll be able to prepare ideal paddocks where they won't suffer. And Matt, something that came up in our webinar that we did this week, and for those of you who missed it, you can get it from our Sheep Connection New South Wales website. But what came up was that, for, for those of you who did miss it, was that we there are less cattle around this year um, mm -hmm. and they're quite expensive to buy and some people were using cattle in their rotation to help them prepare those wiener paddocks. And so there was a lot of chit chat now that the ca there were less cattle around about a greater role of the long actings coming into play this year. What role can they play to help us with that pasture management? And also what are the current recommendations for its use? Because I know there was a bit of confusion around that last week. Yes, well look, um, the long acting uh, treatments are very, very useful for when you have contaminated pastures. However, they're not as useful as they used to be. And I'm talking about um, resistance. So when they were first introduced, there was very little resistance and we could use them with um, pretty much on their own and they do an excellent job. Now they will still do a very good job of uh, allowing you to run sheep on pastures and even clean up pastures, but we need to be more careful now. And the, the two things we have to remember are when we give the long acting treatment, we need to give a primer and that's an effective drench at the same time as the long acting treatment. And a primer simply means a drench that works to take out the worms that are already in the sheep. So you really want something that's 95% effective. The other thing is once the worms are out of the body of the sheep, the long acting then goes uh, to work to prevent new worms coming in and establishing. So this is the secret of the, uh, the both the capsules and the long acting injections. They prevent new worms from coming in. How long do they do this? Well, they used to do it for about 100 days, but since resistance has come in, that time has shortened and it's different on every single farm. So the only way to play it safe is to do worm egg counts and when the worm egg count gets up above 100, go in and treat them with what's called an exit drench. Now the exit drench is also called a tail cutter drench. And the role of the exit drench is to clean out the worms again, and particularly 
the resistant worms that are now building up in the sheep while the long-acting treatment is still in the body. So both of those treatments now form part of the new regime for best practice use of the long-acting treatments. And if you use them, then you'll get a lot better value out of the long-acting treatments. And Matt, should that primer and tail cutter drench, does it, you've said that it has to be effective. Does it um, matter whether it's a single active combination? Do you have any advice on that? Well, look, Fiona, it's, um, it's pretty much um, agreed now that every single treatment really should be a combination treatment. And that's because the work that's been done both with modeling and with real world results show that the long-acting um, treatments work better when they're given in a combination with um, uh, short-acting products and also the short-acting products work better when they're used together with other short-acting products. So combinations are, are pretty much um, recommended every time you use a short-acting product and particularly when you use it with a long-acting. And can it be the same combination for the primer as the tail cutter? It can be, Fiona. We don't need to actually um, rotate. The critical thing is that it's effective so that we're choosing a treatment that is 95% kill or better. And Matt, we've just spoken there quite a bit about effective drenches and effective drenches are going to lead us straight into talking about drench resistance. And it's so mm. important, and we spoke about this in the webinar and to farmers had lots of questions about this at the end of the webinar in our question time. Um, what, how, why is it so important that we have to know our drench resistance status on our property? Um, there's, there's, there's been some really good studies done that try and collate all the information, Fiona, and put it up on a website. And a good example of that is uh, an academic study that was done about, um, about uh, eight, ten years ago, and it published it in the Australian Veterinary Journal. So that's, that's very handy, you know, as an academic study. But for farmers to actually access information, it needs to be, it needs to be handy. And there's a, a website now called Sheep Tracks that is sponsored by Zoetis that does the same thing. It collates all of the um, drench resistance studies that they have access to. And I have to say that Dorbitz does a lot of drench resistance, drench resistance testing that goes into this database. And they put it into a, into a form where you know, farmers can access it themselves and um, look up the results in their area. So that's Sheep Tracks, which is Tracks T-R-A-X, if you want to have a look. The other thing, though, that we realise from doing a lot of resistance testing is that you can have one farm that's got resistance to a product and the other farm won't, right next door. And so it really does highlight the fact that um, each, each farm needs to do their own drench resistance test. And particularly if they're trading sheep or bringing in sheep, um, transporting sheep in between farms, uh, it's more likely that your drench resistance will change very suddenly. So we recommend once every three years. Matt, if, you're, if you are trading sheep, would you recommend that you do a drench resistance test um, in a shorter time frame than the three years? 
Yep, every two years is probably recommended for people that have uh, large numbers of traded sheep. However, we find that people who use an effective quarantine drench, and that means four different active ingredients, and one of them has to be one of the new ones, either Zolvix or StarTect. So if they use a, an effective quarantine drench, they can largely prevent the introduction of resistant worms. So that's another really good strategy. And with all the resistance testing that you've been doing this year, um, Matt, what have you been seeing coming through on the ground? We've seen a lot of resistant barber's pole worm and they're resistant to nearly everything. The only ones that are standing up are um, uh, the new drenches and some, uh, some you know, cocktails of combinations uh, on the most extreme places. But the other concerning thing we're seeing is resistant brown stomach worm and uh, they seem to be spreading. The, we find them mostly around the, the southern regions, but they, they make their way up into um, places like the, uh, um, the southern tablelands and the, the central tablelands. And we're seeing more and more of them around. And I think the more resistant ones we're seeing, um, the more likely they are to survive on farms, particularly given the, the type of seasonal conditions we've had. So Matt, you just mentioned before the sheep tracks database. So in summary, would it be fair to say that the database is handy if you want to hop on and have a look and see what the resistance is doing in your region, but it's not reliable for an individual use. You need to have a drench resistance test done on your property. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a good summary, Fiona. And um, the bottom line is, if I had a, if I was, um, say, a merch manager in a, a merchandise manager in a store, I'd be able to look at look at sheep tracks and say, okay, the resistance in our region is this, and I can focus on drenches, you know, that that aren't resistant, and um, give advice based on that. But for a farmer, they really want to do their own drench resistance test so that they can make specific decisions about their own worm control program. Excellent. Thanks, Matt. I don't have any more questions for you today. I think we've covered a fair bit there. Um, let's hope that the season settles down a little bit for us and we um, are given a chance to get back on top of things. Nothing like green grass, Fiona. <laughs> okay, thanks for joining us, Matt. Pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You, the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the AWI podcast, The Yarn. We'd love you to stay in contact with Sheep Connect New South Wales, and you can do this in a number of ways. Join our network by visiting www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com.au Find us at Sheep Connect New South Wales on Facebook and Twitter. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining us today. Bye for now.